Hey folks, welcome once again to another episode of There's Just Something About Kansas City. Uh, we have conversations about the people, places, and things that make this city such a great place to live and call home and raise our kids and do all those sorts of things. Uh, couldn't be happier or prouder or more honored than to have my old friend Carl Pearson, sometimes friends back in those days and sometimes not so friendly, <laughs> a member of the media, of course, but uh, that was Carl's job, uh, believe me. But Carl Pearson, a former president and GM of the Kansas City Chiefs and has worn so many other hats during his just incredible career. But Carl, thanks for uh, taking time. I know you you are still an extremely busy guy. You're still working with the Pro Football Hall of Fame, with the NFL itself, and you know USA Football and everything else that that you're doing. Well, thanks, Frank. I appreciate that. You know, uh, your introduction or something, just something about Kansas City, uh, certainly rings true with me. <clears throat> I was in the National Football League for uh, ten years, basically with uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, before that UCLA and that. But I'd heard a lot about. Kansas City didn't really know much about it and uh, until I came here and started uh, making this my home uh, then you find out that there is something really special it's a unique place uh, people are wonderful the uh, genuineness of uh, people in the Midwest I think uh, contribute to that but uh, obviously I, I met and married a girl from Kansas right. I call her the uh, uh, blonde uh, tornado because sometimes she <laughs> she's got a temper. But Lori uh, Larson from that, Scandia, Kansas. That's it. That's it. And uh, uh, but the 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 thing about Kansas City is that it is truly a hidden gem um, until you come here and you experience it. The only one thing, Frank, that I, I looked for for it's thirty years now. I still haven't found it as any oceanfront property. <laughs> Other than that, I love. Well, the we place. can sell you some in, in Ottawa, <laughs> Kansas. Maybe it'll, you know, maybe the plates will come together and <laughs> yeah. snap that part off, and yeah. you'll have uh, you'll have ocean at your yeah. doorstep at that point. But you have yeah. found, you know, mm -hmm. while we're on the subject, you have found the ocean. You're on MS the World Ship, and you know, I think for people who don't understand that or what that is, what is that exactly? And that's why <laughs> it's so tough to track you down. I don't know when to call you or text you because I have no idea what time zone you're in around the world. Well, it's something that uh, uh, I found uh, late in my career with the Chiefs. Uh, I was, you know, contemplating like everybody at some point I'm going to have to put put it down and and go someplace. I looked at uh, so many friends that had uh, second homes in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and in uh, right Palm Springs, Palm Springs, and, places, and uh, yeah. you know Colorado, uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, et cetera. But I knew one thing: having grown up in Long Beach, California, and frankly uh, surfed and sailed my brains out and played a little football at UCLA and came back and coached there, that I wanted to. Wherever I went, I want to be able to get up in the morning when I put my feet on the ground. I want to see the ocean. And um, this uh, this opportunity came, or I found it in the Wall Street Journal. It's, it's a one-of-a-kind cruise ship. Uh, we call it the largest private yacht in the world. It's a, a mid-sized cruise ship, but it's uh, all condominiums. It's not for the public. Uh, we have uh, 12 decks. It's a, it's a very large ship. It's uh, 750 feet by 105 or whatever it is. Uh, we've got five restaurants, f 
four bars, music <laughs> two nights a week at, at, at two of those bars every every night, um, indoor and outdoor swimming pool, great workout facility. We've got full-time trainers there that'll kick your tail if you want them to do that. Uh, huge spa that has everything that uh, myself and my, my lovely bride would like and uh, enjoy. Performing Arts Center, a uh, golf analyzer on the 12th deck uh, to improve your swing and get get ready for when it does dock the uh, pr- full-time pro on our on our ship takes us to some of the finest golf courses in the world and it is the world because uh, if you stay on board for 15 to 18 months you will circumference the world mm-hmm. uh, you know through uh, either or both canals uh, Suez and Panama or uh, we've been to Antarctica I've been through the Northwest Passage I up saw in the some Arctic pictures circle. from Egypt of course Egypt, uh, we've been uh, just about on every continent there is, and um, I can't tell you how many countries now, but we've had uh, such experiences, and uh, uh, part of it is that uh, we, we do about three or four expeditions a year where we bring experts on, for example, to Antarctica, and they'll tell us uh, what we're going to see, mm-hmm. uh, what we should look for, and so forth. Uh, they're there to help to guide us in that kind of like going back to college and get the lectures during the uh, evening. But then the next day you go and enjoy it, and you come back to a, a very difficult lifestyle of a, of a cocktail <laughs> martini. And sit down and you watch the video of yourself and your, your fellow residents uh, touring, uh, investigating, and enjoying us. We've been to the Sea of Cortez, the Galapagos, uh, some wow. just tremendous uh, places, a Great Wall of China, et cetera. And... Uh, it, it's the, because it's a private cruise ship. Mm-hmm. It can go places that other cruise ships can't go. And uh, I, I've uh, obviously fallen in love with it. Before COVID hit, I was doing about 160 days a year, not consecutive, but over a period of, of months right. uh, on the ship, on and off, uh, for you know a week to uh, five weeks at a time, et cetera. And um, uh, my bride from Kansas has, has acclimated pretty well. She's up to now. I think she can go for a week at sea, but then she wants to get home and put some uh, her feet on firmer ground. Yeah. Anyway, for me, I'm a Viking. My dad immigrated from Sweden, right. and it's in my blood, and that's why I, I love the sea. And if you love to sail, it's a perfect combination, the yeah. world ship. Wow. Well, that's a perfect advertisement for it, that's for sure. And, folks, don't think he just came in and inherited this. Okay, from a Scandinavian uh, father, this uh, this has been uh, Carl's doing it the correct way. He's doing it while he can, and he has earned uh, he, he has earned his way, as they say. As uh, you know, we're going to go back and we're going to talk about it a little bit. You're actually born in Minneapolis, right? Correct. And all how the Swe- all the Swedes came from that- Minnesota <laughs> to Minnesota, yes. As uh, as Jan yep. Stenerud would tell us, yeah, right? Absolutely. Um, but the uh, but he, you were there for a while. How old were you when you then moved to Long Beach, very, California? Very young, about four years old. It was okay. after the uh, Second World War. My dad uh, was a contractor. He had uh, seven uh, brothers and sisters, and uh, all the brothers were in construction. But he finally got to a point of uh, frustration. He said, I need to go someplace where I can work. 12 months a year, not nine months a year, because in Minnesota, when the winters come, you're, you're not going to do much. shut down. You're not going to be outside <laughs> doing excavating and grading and, and so forth. So he moved the family out to uh, Long Beach, California, actually Surfside. We lived right on the beach the first couple of years. And that's where uh, 
where we grew up. I had, uh, it was four boys, no girls, and uh, it was a it was a great life, I must tell you. And obviously, learned uh, a, a very healthy uh, respect for the Pacific Ocean quickly, and um, and then did a lot of uh, diving and skin diving and surfing. Like I said, uh, so I, I knew then that uh, this was a life for me. Um, but uh, from Long Beach, I ended up in Philadelphia, and from Philadelphia, yeah. I ended up in uh, in in, in Midland of America. Right, but uh, you went to Wilson High School, correct, in Long Beach. Long Beach. You Woodrow played. Wilson. You played football. Obviously, yep. did you play any other sports? Oh yeah, I played basketball and baseball, and and uh, did all the stuff that uh, most uh, young uh, active guys do. And then, uh, did you have a chance after Wilson? Did you get scholarship offers? From? I wasn't I wasn't good enough for a scholarship. But I, I walked on a little bit at, at uh, UCLA, and then uh, uh, I guess fortunately, unfortunately at the time, I, I tore up my knee, mm-hmm. and that ultimately kept me out of uh, Vietnam. And uh, didn't plan it that way. Obviously, I was planning to uh, go ahead and serve my commission, and had a lot of. Uh, I actually went to West Point for a year, played a little plebe football there, mm-hmm. uh, but. Um, Lost a lot of friends, teammates, classmates, even opponents. Probably guys you played against. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, our class at West Point, uh, class of this dates me obviously '67, was uh, I think in in the Vietnam War had almost uh, two thirds either wounded or killed. Yeah, killed and and uh, second lieutenants at those times. They, they didn't last very long. They were in Vietnam. a dime a dozen. And, yeah, but I made some great friends. One I kept uh, as a roommate for all these years. He finished as a four-star general and ended up, uh, ironically, at uh, uh, Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Called me there. He was now a two-star general and said uh, he's a commander in chief of the uh, command and general staff college for the United States Army. And said, "Let's get together." So I brought him to a Chiefs game, and from then on, he was a Chiefs fan. And uh, anyway, Monty C. Miggs the fourth, but a great friend. But uh, went back to UCLA and uh, loved it so much that I had to get into uh, coaching. And yeah. that's what I wanted to do. And majored in something called kinesiology, which is a twenty-five cent word at UCLA for physical education. Yeah. <laughs> No, but, no, uh, it's exercise physiology, okay? <laughs> it's it's not physical thank education. Yes, Come it on. Is, well, uh, it wasn't like University of Miami and basket weaving, okay? <laughs> so at least it, it had yeah. a better name. Yeah. Uh, and, but you um, you did coach all along the way, too. You, yeah. um, I think you went back even to your high school that's, to coach, right, to begin? Correct. That was my first uh, uh, effort into uh, high school coaching. I went to work for my uh, my former head coach, Skip Rowland, and um, – Couple of years there, and then a couple of years uh, while I was in graduate school at UCLA at Loyola uh, High School in uh, downtown Los Angeles. Right. A great uh, experience for me, uh, and uh, we had terrific football teams. and And then uh, got a chance to become my own head coach at a California State University. Yeah, Sonoma it. State, right? Uh, that's yeah. it. And uh, Larry Allen was the uh, one pro player that that uh, graduated from uh, Sonoma State. was was a terrific player for for uh, Sonoma State Cossacks at the time. Uh, they've changed the name, of course. It's insulting. To yes, of it. course. Yeah. But anyway, uh, <laughs> anyway, and then uh, I uh, I got a call from a dear friend. We, we had gone to classes together and kept in touch and so forth. Terry Donahue, he had just returned with 
Pepper Rogers from the University of Kansas to UCLA. UCLA, yeah, there's and a connection said, there. Uh, yeah, he said, Carl, we, we've got an opening on the staff. He said, I think you should really give Pepper a call and interview for the job. And I, it took me about 15 seconds to do that. <laughs> what, what, but, was uh, the, what was the position? It was the head freshman coach. Okay, right, because remember in those days yep. – yeah. The, the, freshmen could play. Freshmen could yeah. not play varsity. Yeah, but right. we had had our own uh, freshman league right. with Stanford and Cal Berkeley mm-hmm. and SC, and uh, and then also uh, worked with the varsity receivers. But um, and then the second year, I got elevated up to the to the varsity uh, coaching full time, and uh, it was terrific. Uh, Pepper was a unique head coach, uh, and that cannot describe him. But because of Terry Donahue uh, and uh, his friendship, uh, he alerted me to this, and I was able to get sure. that position. Well, you you know, I think that's the important thing. I think a lot of people don't realize it's not, you know, Carl Peterson graduated from UCLA, and two years later was the head football coach of the Chiefs, or the, the <laughs> I'm sorry, president and general manager of Kansas City Chiefs. It just doesn't work that way, but it is these relationships that you formed all the way through. Dick Vermeil was at UCLA, too. You you're with him there, right? Yes, well— uh, the situation there was in the Pac-8 became Pac-10. Right. You had to win the conference, Pacific 8-10 conference, to go to a bowl game, and the bowl game was the Rose Bowl. Rose bowl. If you didn't, uh, you went home. Well, Peppers, uh, my two years with Pepper, we were 8-3 and three and 9-2, and two, better than f- so many bowl teams, mm-hmm. but we couldn't go. And so I think uh, – Because that, you had that affiliation, right? You, yeah. That was the only bowl big, that the Big, big, big Ten, Ten and, Pac, and Pac the Pac-8 could go to. So um, uh, I, I I know that Pepper got frustrated with it, and he, he got, got up and left. He left us literally in the lurch, if you will, in the nine assistant coaches and went to his alma mater, Georgia Tech, because mm-hmm. then he could go to bowl games and that. And he was a fine coach. And the athletic director, J.D. Morgan at UCLA, uh, immediately hired Dick Vermeil, a young assistant coach then with the L.A. Rams, but had been at UCLA before. That's mm-hmm. where J.D. saw him. He worked for Tommy Prothro. And uh, Dick came in and was smart enough to retain seven of the nine assistants, <laughs> and yours truly included, as well as, uh, like I said, uh, Terry and so many others. And uh, he, um, in two short years, beat USC, we beat it, and we went to the Rose Bowl and uh, played the undefeated, uh, infamous Woody Hayes-led uh, Ohio, the Ohio State Buckeyes, excuse me, the Ohio State Buckeyes, who had played us earlier in the year and beat the tar out of us in the L.A. Coliseum, and now we're playing them in the Rose Bowl, and we were the biggest underdog in the history of the Rose Bowl at that time, and we upset them. And from that, the uh, owner of the Philadelphia Eagles saw the game, flew out, and uh, started recruiting Dick, uh, who initially said he wasn't going to go. We're, we're going to build a national championship at UCLA. And then took the job. <laughs> and I said, I hope I'm going with you. And he said yes. So uh, that's how I got you – know, I was with Dick two years at UCLA. Uh, magnificent coach, magnificent person. Yeah, right. Uh, He's a good man. Excellent, excellent person and still is to this day. So – you're right. It's relationships that you build and you right. meet and you, and you grow and uh, watched his kids grow up and he watched uh, my daughter grow up. And and uh, the great thing about Dick, he's always kept in touch with all of his players and coaches and football support staff throughout his entire life. And he's 86 years young. Yeah. 
And uh, anyway, he um, he took me with him, and I uh, got a chance then to go into administration. He kicked me upstairs, as I said. I, he didn't want me on the football field. He wanted me doing <laughs> contracts and drafts. Did he know something trades. we didn't know? Did <laughs> he know something we didn't know there? I, I understand from from part of it. it did, he didn't kick in or he, he – I think he knew, he saw the scout in you as far as players were concerned. And the eye you had for guys who you felt could play in the league. Well, I appreciate that. And, and uh, he also knew that uh, I was someone he could trust impeccably. Mm-hmm. And, and that uh, I knew what he needed to have to win. Um, so he brought me in at the end of uh, my first year uh with the Eagles, and he said, listen, uh, I want you to make a decision. Uh, I'd like you to go up up in administration and be our director of player personnel mm-hmm. and football operations and all of those things with football that have helped me uh, with that. And he said, uh, uh, what do you think? I said, well, how about if I think about it for the night? And he said, okay, fine. So I came back. <clears throat> He's in my office waiting for me. And he said, mm-hmm. well, what do you think? I said, well, I think, Dick, that after some long thought here, that I'd rather be the guy that does the hiring and firing than the guy that always gets hired but then gets fired. <laughs> and he says, are you taking the job? I said, yeah, I'm taking the job. He says, are you going to fire me? I said, how can I fire you? You hired me. And ironically, and you know this, Frank, because you were here, 20 years later, I got to hire the guy that hired me, Absolutely. Dick Vermeil, yeah, as the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs. It's another one of those relationship type yep. things. Okay, yeah. so you're with Dick in Philadelphia and you end up, what was the transition from the Eagles to the USFL? <laughs> well, <laughs> I got it. And another, I will ask you about the USFL. Yeah. Well, no, it, it's, well. Uh, I, I would be candid right away. It was probably one of the greatest uh, events in my life and uh, opportunities. And that's what it was. Uh, initially, you know, they contacted me starting this new pro football a league in the spring, spring. Mm-hmm. and uh, they had franchises in Boston and New York and Philadelphia and so forth, and uh, a, gr- a group of very reputable uh, real estate development people in in Can or in uh, Philadelphia came after me, and and I initially I said, listen, I appreciate, it. I'm flattered on it, but I'm I'm very happy here with Dick and and the Eagles, and we're building something. We had we had taken them in five years to the Super Bowl mm-hmm. fifteen. And then Dick finally brought me. He says, you know, they keep coming after you. And he said, the, the offer's awfully good. I mean, there was not only president, GM, CEO, but part owner. You're going to be part owner, yes. And, uh, and I said, well, I said, you know, it would be a great opportunity to start something literally from the first paperclip up to build it myself. And, um, and so after a while, it just got too good to say no. So I said, okay, I'm. I'm coming. I'm taking it, and uh, it was hard to leave Dick, but uh, he was so encouraging with it, and um, it wasn't just uh, two short years years later that he burned out yeah. and, and left coaching for uh, 14 years. And uh, anyway, so I got a chance to start it and uh, built it myself. Had some wonderful people, coaches, and players. And George Perlis, Jim Mora Jr., right? Jim Morris Senior. I'm sorry, Jim yeah, Morris Senior. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And he, he, he led us to the three championship games right. and the two championships the last two years. Uh, Frank, I'm, I'm proud to say that uh, from that group, from just the Philadelphia slash Baltimore Stars, 
um, we had 20 players go on, either return or start their careers after the USFL in the NFL mm -hmm. and played a long time. Sean Landetta played 20 years yep. in the NFL as a, a punter, one of the all-time great punters in the NFL. But uh, we had Irv Eatman, uh, Calvin Bryant, uh, Bart Oates, some, some really terrific people and, and players. And we had off of the coaching staff, every one of the coaches went on to coach a long time in the NFL. Four of them became head coaches, mm -hmm. including Jim Mora. And from my personnel staff, uh, four of them went on to become general managers in the NFL. So um, it, it was a combination of good players and good coaching and a little bit of good administration. Right, and it's it's surrounding yourself with good people too. I mean, you obviously didn't yep. just have a talent for players or coaches, but you also had, for your administrative staff, you really had a talent for people you knew would really be able to handle the job. Well, I appreciate that, and, and yes, I, I did. I was very, very fortunate. I always felt in my, uh, if you want to say, administrative uh, football, administrative executive career, that the most important thing that I could do was to hire good people. And, and by that, I mean people that are less concerned about themselves and more concerned about the team uh, are less concerned about who gets the credit but uh, how can we make this the situation better and uh, throughout the years I've been very fortunate to do that but um, it is a people and it's a people business and yeah. uh, sometimes I think in today's NFL uh, they forget that it, it, it's a people business it's yeah. like your business you know and and uh, you meet and deal with people every day, and you have to be there, I think, to, to really get the flavor of what they need, what they want, how they can be successful. Players, coaches, administrators, everything. If they think that you are trying to really put them in a position to succeed, you're going to get an awful lot of output from them. Yeah, right. Um, after you leave the stars, this is the best part for me, you went into the media. <laughs> of all things, oh, Carl, yeah. well, the media. Sort of the black mark in my career. <laughs> Not in the black hole, as a matter of fact. Uh, the media at Philly Sport, it was a magazine all about Philadelphia sports. Philadelphia's a sports-crazed city, as as we all know. Sometimes they're just crazed, okay, in Philly. <laughs> right. But uh, spent a lot of time there. But uh, Philly Sport, how was that? And then in your correlation to handling the media after that? <laughs> Well, I got to see a, a side of the media that I hadn't really uh, met and enjoyed. <laughs> good I guess side or bad? Yeah. I guess it was the good side because no, you, it was, it you was saw the side. bad side. Yeah, right? the, the, it was a good side. The, the group that put this magazine, and then they, they actually expanded it to Boston and to Miami. Uh, they, were, they were putting uh, this sport magazine, kind of a, an abbreviated uh, Sports Illustrated, but into cities that had all four professional yes. sports, mm -hmm. NHL, NBA, Major League Baseball in the NFL, and uh, anyway, it, it was it was a very good experience, but I think I knew early on that this was not going to be the, <laughs> the final end where I'm going to end up, and uh, so you know, I while I was there, I uh, had the opportunity. They allowed me to do this interview to a, a fair number of places for an NFL job, yes. other franchises. And you that. kept those feelers out there, and this is we're going to come to yeah. November of 1988 and how that uh, how it all transpired. Right. But, uh, you know, and that was a great experience in itself also. And, again, met a lot of 
terrific people. Uh, uh, Stephen Ross, obviously, who I knew in the uh, USFL, and then uh, so many other people, uh, and saw them from a side I hadn't seen because I was always the enemy right. at the uh, Eagles. And now, uh, you know, I'm talking to Tex Schramm or whomever it might be, uh, uh, the owner of the Jets and so on. Anyway, so, uh, you know, again, uh, experiences, but still connecting with people. And then what, uh, how did you, I know you had your fears out, and then uh, what was the first contact with Lamar Hunt to know that he was interested in you to take over the Kansas City Chiefs, who were, and I covered this team for a lot of that period of time before you got here. They were just, they had no direction. Well, uh, that became very ob- obvious. I uh, Actually, uh, a quick anecdote or story before that, in, in uh, November of 1988, I went with a group uh, from Philadelphia to look at and to do some due diligence and to make a bid on the Dallas Cowboys and the Dallas Cowboys uh, uh, stadium and their facility, practice facility, and so forth. They were up for sale. Um, uh, A gentleman I went with was uh, uh, Ed Snyder, the owner of the NHL Philadelphia Flyers, Mm -hmm. and also a company called Spectacore, which was really his primary business of taking over stadiums and arenas and making them profitable, uh, concessions, parking, seats, club seats, suites, et cetera. And he wanted to actually buy the uh, Cowboys for uh, the uh, Texas stadium. He was very intrigued with that and thought he could really make that uh, a big money maker. But he called me cause I was obviously had been in Philadelphia for some time. And, uh, he said, Carl, uh, I'm a hockey guy. I'm not a football guy. I need a football guy. He said, if you'll come with me in my group uh, and we get the Cowboys, I'm going to put you in charge of it. And that, and again, that little lure wow. of, I'm going to make you a part owner. Yeah. Ed, that sounds very interesting. <laughs> so we flew down to Dallas and did three days of uh, due diligence, came back. We put in a bid for $131 million, okay, through the Texas Stadium and the Cowboys. And this is 1988, right? November, so November, late 98. That is a lot of money. And so um, it comes back, and Ed calls me. He says, Carl, I'm sorry. I'm Bad news, he said, we lost. He, he said, we lost to a guy by the name of Jones, and he bet $133 million. <laughs> That from, would be he's Jerry from Ar- Jones. He's from Arkansas. That's right. <laughs> yeah, where do you get this and money anyway? <laughs> and uh, and I, 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 I'll never forget uh, – Pepper, who I always had kept in touch with, and Pepper had a great sense of humor. He called me. He says, Carl, Carl, I just got to ask you a question. He says, I know you guys were in that bidding for the Cowboys. He said, now this guy Jones from Arkansas gets it. He says, what's he going to call them, the cow hogs? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, first time I met and got to know Jerry a little bit. But shortly after that, I got a call from uh, Lamar Hunt. And I'll be frank, it was uh, Jack Stedman calling for Lamar Hunt mm-hmm. and said, uh, would you be interested in, in looking at uh, running the uh, Kansas City Chiefs? Right. And remember now, Jack Stedman was the president, Jim Schaffer's general manager of the Kansas City Chiefs, along with Hunt Midwest. Exactly. He was a, he was more of a businessman than he was a football man. Yeah, that that, that was his thing. And, and uh, so I said, uh, and I, I'm saying this is dip diplomatically as I can, I said, you know, uh, Jack, I appreciate the call. I said, but frankly, I'd really like to hear from Mr. Hunt. 
And I had met Lamar a number of times at league meetings when I w went uh, with the Eagles and the Eagles ownership, Leonard Toast, to the league meetings and, and met Lamar a little bit, you know, just socially in that. Actually, there's a good story on that one too. But, but anyway, I said, uh, so I'd like to hear from Mr. Hunt. Boom, I got a call right away. And he said, Carl, he said, uh, I admire what you've done. I've watched your career in both the NFL and the USFL. And he said, you know, I used to be part of a rebel league, too. It was called the AFL. I said, Mr. Hunt, I know that. And uh, anyway, so he had me come and uh, take a look and actually write a report for him on what I saw with his Kansas City Chiefs, good and the bad. And so I came and did that, and I actually went to a game at Arrowhead and then went also at the Meadowlands. They were playing up there, and I could drive up there. I lived in South Jersey at the time. And uh, anyway, uh, we, we met a couple times. Uh, the, I remember the airport, the Hilton Airport, Chicago O'Hara, the, uh, um, uh, I think it was Marriott at the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth mm -hmm. Airport, whatever. Trying to stay away from the media that you created in very, Philadelphia. He was very <laughs> clandestine about this. And, uh, yeah, when I came to Philadelphia, or to, to, excuse me, from Philadelphia to Kansas City the first time, he had me registered at the Marriott on the plaza mm -hmm. under uh, our CFO's name was Bob Tomasi. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, after two or three of these meetings, um, he said, uh, uh, what do you need? And I said, what do you mean I need? He said, what do you need to, to do what you think you have to do to fix the, uh, the chiefs? And as you know, you were there. They, they'd, I think, 15 of 16 years they had lost, and they'd been in one playoff. And, and I said, well, Mr. Honey, said, I, I said, I don't think you probably want to do this, and I, I'm, I'm not trying to do this in an egotistical way. I said, but in my opinion, you need one voice because you're, you're in my opinion, your franchise is fractured from the top to the bottom. So I would need to be the president, general manager, and CEO and uh, I don't think you're probably prepared to do that because many of these people were with you a long time. Yeah, and they worked over at Hunt Midwest, yeah. yeah. And, and exactly. And uh, uh, he said, would you mind if I think about that? <laughs> <laughs> I loved Lamar all those years. The most humble, honest, yes. uh, stay-in-the-background guy I've ever met. Bobby Bell and I yeah. talked about this. Oh, he's just, you know, terrific. And I said, Mr. Hunt, take all the time you want. <laughs> it's your team and sure. Anyway. He called me back the next day. He says, I'll do it. I said, well, that's terrific. And I said, uh, uh, I'm your guy. And uh, so on the, uh, I think it was the 21st of December, 88, uh, we had a press conference, and, and he hired me uh, publicly. Right. And, and then some things happened during that offseason that just sort of fell in your mm -hmm. lap uh, as far as the Browns were concerned and Art Modell, mm -hmm. and he gets rid of a, you know, a, an established coach who yeah. at that point, you know, yep. I don't know what Art Mobdell was upset about, but Marty lost a couple of close games at Denver Broncos, uh, yeah. and he turns around and Marty Schottenheimer's available. Correct. Um, well, the first thing I had to do was address the football situation, obviously. And uh, yeah, Frank Gans was the head coach. Frank at Gans the time. was the head coach. He'd been there two years. Uh, they, I think they'd won uh, two games and four games. Yeah. Um, and in my business, uh, and the way I came up through uh, to the uh, administrative ranks, if you will, was as a coach, 
we all know each other. I knew Frank. I knew Frank well. Uh, I knew him when he was at the United States Naval Academy. Mm-hmm. We recruited against each other when I was at UCLA recruiting players, and he was at Naval Academy. And I knew him, obviously, when he got to the uh, NFL in Kansas City. Finest special teams coach Maybe I've ever. Ever, ever seen in mm-hmm. my life. And uh, we've had some good ones, but he is exceptional. But I could tell, and I said, Frank, I'm going to take my time and go through every video from last season's games, and, uh, and then I'll tell you what I want to do. And uh, he, uh, he was very patient in that. But I could tell uh, just the way the team was playing in that is that uh, he had lost them. Yeah. And, and uh, it happens in pro football. It happens in college football, too. But in pro football, it ha- happens a little sooner. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> no, it's patient. Yeah. So I, I, I brought him in, and I said, listen, uh, I've made a decision. I'm sorry I'm going to let you go. Obviously, uh, I'll recommend you to any, any team that you want. Uh, Frank, I know your coaching abilities are, are superb. And let me just tell you that uh, I'm not letting you go because the coaching was awful. Um, you had a lot of players there that just were not responding. And, yeah. and, uh, and I said, and I will address them when I get to them next. I said, but anyway, so then uh, the next move I had to get was get a head coach. And I uh, – I started looking. Obviously, the first guy I turned to was Dick Vermeil, mm-hmm. and uh, had a long chat with for him. him. Yeah, he was, uh, I think, five years into his quote uh, broadcasting career, and he said, "Carl, I, I really appreciate it." He said, "But I, I'm I'm not ready to get back." He said, "I may never get back." And I said, "Well," so I said, "Well, at least you do this." And if you remember this, I said, "Minimum." And I was surprised the Eagles weren't using him in Philadelphia. I said, I want you to come to Kansas City to training camp every year and do the uh, color for our preseason games. Right. And, and probably take a look at your players. And, <laughs> and he said then, just a little, to open the door a little bit, he said, well, he said, you know, I, th- I think I'd like to do that. He said, I'm enjoying this college because he was doing with Brent Musburger, mm-hmm. ABC, college games, f- uh, football games. But he said, I, I kind of want to keep my foot in the water in the NFL. And I said, well, this is a great opportunity. You get the chance to see the teams and so forth. So now I got out of my uh, uh, head coach search, and you guys were following me around. Oh, gosh, yes. From uh, Kansas City. Everywhere. And the Inquirer and uh, all, all the radios, TV stations, et cetera. So um, interviewed uh, George Seifert out on the West Coast. Um, uh, let's see, a couple other people. Uh, Jimmy Ray. Uh-huh. Uh, I knew him very well, and, and uh, anyway, um, I get a phone call, and it's Marty Schottenheimer, and I had known Marty going back to the uh, NFC East Conference. Eagles played the Giants. He mm-hmm. was linebacker coach of the Giants uh, twice a year, and uh, and I was coaching tight ends at that time, and. Uh, at, at least the first year, and so I knew him, and it was a coaching abilities. And anyway, he uh, he said, "Listen, you might not believe this. I just got fired by Art Modell." And he said, "I don't want to stop coaching in the NFL." He said, "I'm on the competition committee." He said, "I got a full staff that can come right with me." He said, uh, "I said, what was the problem?" He said, "He wanted me to fire my coaching staff, yeah. starting with my brother and." And a guy by the name of Bill Cower, who yeah. I think is a great young coach, on his way up and so forth. I said, okay. I said, uh, let's meet. And so uh, 
we pulled a, a, an end around or whatever you want to say. I said, uh, we're going to look like we're going to meet in Mobile, Alabama. We're at the Senior Bowl. Senior Bowl, we're, right. That's where most of the coaches, pro coaches, uh, congregate at the end of the year and jobs are made and left and hired and so forth. And I said, but uh, when you get to Atlanta, just uh, leave the airport and go to the Marriott. I'll be there. So I did. So and that's where there. you were. That's okay. where we were. Yep. And uh, <laughs> we put the deal together. And if you remember, it was just before the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And we didn't want to uh, announce it then because the Super Bowl would take away the, the uh, uh, excitement of Marty Schottenheimer coming to uh, Kansas City. So uh, we kept it under wraps or pretty much under wraps. And uh, anyway, um, great hire. Uh, I, I thought it would be. I needed, Frank, what I needed, and I knew what I needed. I needed an experienced, playoff-experienced, playoff-winning coach uh, because this team needed to be turned around and turned yeah. around. You need to get the attention of the players. Yeah, uh, exactly, 180 degrees. And uh, Marty had been coming off, well, he was four years as a head coach. He took over for Frank Gans. One of four divisions or three divisions, a wild card, um, two AFC championship games and lose, loses to John Elway on the drive right. and then on the Ernest Biner fumble. Right. And, and uh, I mean, excruciating loss. It could have gone either way. But um, so I, I knew that's the guy I wanted. And uh, the only thing I remember, um, I had he and Pat come in uh, very quietly as, as we're finishing up this thing, the contract. And um, so uh, I'm putting him on the plane back to Cleveland, but we've got a deal uh, in Word. Not right in, in not principle. Written, yeah. uh-huh. And he said, uh, he says, listen, I apologize, he said, but, but I've, I've got to make one other stop. He said, uh, we're going to go from here to San Diego. He said, uh, Alex Spanos, the owner. Chargers. promised me, made me promise that I'd come into visit. He said, but Carl, I'm, I'm your guy. <laughs> I'm not going to go. And I said, Pat, how are you? And she says, Carl, I've been in Cleveland here for the last eight years. She said, the sun never shines oh boy. in Cleveland. Uh-oh. And it always shines in San Diego. <laughs> oh, boy. I just not, lost my that's coach. Not, that's not the words I wanted to hear from the head coach's wife. Anyway, they went when they came back. And we uh, had the press conference. And and uh, as they say, uh, the rest is history. He uh, he brought a great staff with him and filled in the, the uh, uh, holes that he didn't have. Um, frankly, I, I recommended two guys to him. I said, you don't have to hire him, but I'd like you to interview him. And it was John Bunning, and who was the second guy. Uh, anyway, he hired both of them, which right. was great. And uh, um, anyway, so we hit the ground running, and that, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, then I turned to the personnel department and went through that and see what, what they had done right, what they'd done wrong. Uh, Whitey Dovell was uh, an excellent judge of talent. God bless him. And uh, um, what's our, was our pro personnel guy, was with us a long time too, really, really talented. Anyway, I, I, uh, I didn't have to make many changes in personnel, although I'm sure they all felt that because of my personnel experience that that was going to uh, turn it upside down. Yeah, right. But um, we... Uh, we hit a ground run, running in that, and uh, I said, Marty, I'm going to need you not only to coach the football team, I need you and your staff in uh, evaluating player personnel. 
and I need you to do what I'm going to do. We're going to get out on the road, and we're going to sell some season tickets yeah. before the season even begins. I heard when you when you took over, there were three people in the ticket department. Yeah, is that is that correct? Yeah, yeah. There are only three people there. Yeah, and, and the, uh, <laughs> you think about this, folks. The Kansas City Chiefs now, they probably have, I don't know. 150 or 200 people <laughs> yeah. in there somewhere trying to yeah. sell tickets and doing whatever, but you had you really had to take everything and change the whole yeah. the whole atmosphere. Not that we revolutionized it, but uh, I couldn't believe that that they were still pulling hard tickets. They, yes. they didn't have a computer, and I said we're going to change that quickly, so people can call in and get tickets and yeah. so forth. And uh, we went out and we sold uh, groups. We did everything. Marty and I did a road show. We did about three or four. Uh, minstrel shows. I remember the paper, uh, the, the cartoonist and the star had us, you know, on the stage, to ham ham and egging it, as you would say. Yeah, sure, so yeah. I had uh, my dear friend uh, Steve Sable mm -hmm. make a highlight film, frankly, of Marty and myself and our experiences in the National Football League and, and that. And uh, we sold that thing like you couldn't believe it. At the end of the summer, we had a league meeting, and Lamar stood up, and uh, he was so proud. He said, uh, I just want to tell you something. He said, when Carl came in, we were at 23,000 season tickets. <laughs> and he said, we've just sold our 37,000 season ticket. And Billy Bidwell in the back of the room stands up, and he says, Lamar, you're lying. And he said, no, I'm not lying. He said, it's, it's, it's happened. And we haven't even kicked off yet for this 89 season. And then... And uh, Billy Bidwell says, that's not how you do it in the NFL. He says, if you win, they'll come. If you lose, they won't. That's it. And he, he didn't have a sales department either. So anyway, I took a lot of things that I learned, frankly, in the USFL. Yeah, right. Marketing and sales and brought it over to the Chiefs and uh, hired a young, innovative, creative staff that uh, we had a lot of fun uh, uh, selling tickets, if you will, and half packs and so forth. We had to start somewhere. Yeah. Anyway, Lamar loved it. So I said, hey, Marty, as long as we're making the head or the owner happy, we're in good shape. Yeah, we're, we're in good shape. <laughs> the, the other thing you did, you did some things that other people build, bid well, et cetera, didn't do. You and Carl roamed the parking lot. You had your own GM show on radio. You encouraged your players to go out and do their own radio shows, which – now, these days, of course, social media has changed everything, but these days the owner would drop over dead if he thought his players were going to go out and do a, a you know, <laughs> weekly radio show somewhere like at the Levee or, or right. wherever it was. Yeah. But you had everybody was out, including the owner, out there, and then that morphed into, you know, what can we do in the parking lot before the games, which Tim yeah. Connolly, I think, was, was very involved in. Yep. Yep. And it became – the atmosphere that Arrowhead is today, one of these atmospheres that every team in the NFL, every broadcast team, everybody comes, actually really loves to play in Kansas City. I mean, it's a tough place to play and was back then as well. But teams and coaches or whatever just always said, this is like playing in front of a college uh, <laughs> crowd again. It's great. And, that, and that's exactly what I did. I mean, yeah. I had been to uh, – every campus in America looking for players when I was with the Eagles and, and the Stars. Um, I'd been to Kansas U, I'd been to Kansas State, I'd been to Missouri, been to Nebraska and that. And obviously Nebraska was, was the, the leader of that. And I said, you know what? And I told my people this. I said, 
we're going to make this a college atmosphere, but it's the National Football League. And uh, yes, I said uh, one thing that I can do with the contracts on players, I, I put an addendum for every new player that signed, draft choice or a free agent, he had to give, give us back five gratis appearances a year uh, as, as part of his signing bonus. Mm-hmm. And that encouraged him to get radio shows right. or whatever. Or charity. So or charity. Yeah. charity, yeah. Yeah, you know, a guy like Priest Holmes, he didn't want to talk in front of people, mm-hmm. but he was a great chess player, and he would go over on Wednesday night and teach at the boys and girls clubs yep. how to play chess. Um, you know, I said, find find your, your niche, find your mark, but, but find something because mm-hmm. we need to get back to this community. It's been a long time. I started something called the uh, – uh, Kansas City Chiefs ambassadors. That's right. And uh, all uh, the alumni back. Bobby Bell and uh, uh, so many of these guys were they were so great and giving at the same time, and they wanted to come back. And I gave them, frankly, each of those uh, alumni that lived in town four season tickets mm-hmm. free, and I gave them a tent out in the parking lot where they could have their party for their clients and bring them and then encourage them to bring them on the field pregame. Ted McKnight singing with the jazz band out there. Walter White, Ted <laughs> Walter McKnight. White, yeah. <laughs> uh, these guys, and, and they they really did a great job for us. And the Red Coders resurrected. Mm-hmm. The Red Coders have been there before, but I said, I need you and I really need you now. And, and uh, everybody, right, jumped, jumped on board. And now, as I told Lamar, I said, look at. We have to win not only on the field, but off the field. And he said, well, I understand winning on the field. He said, you're going to hire a head coach. You're going to get new players. Uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to try to win, win games. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and I said, yeah. He said, but uh, what about off the field? I said, Lamar, you got a 78,000-seat beautiful football facility. You can park 26,000 cars in the Truman Sports Complex. We're going to make tailgating something very special. It's what they love to do, and I know the Midwest college football fans love to tailgate. I said, we're going to do the same thing here. And uh, I said, it's going to hurt us at the concession stands because I'm going to encourage them to bring their food early in the morning, barbecue, all the rest. Right. We'll have contests. And you know what else is coming? <laughs> the <laughs> yeah, beer and the cocktails the and everything else. And everything else. <laughs> and I said, and I don't know if you remember, my first year or two maybe, I let them go back out at halftime and, and re, reignite yes, you, tailgating. Yes, you opened that. the gates at halftime. And, and, so you and, can't uh, do that these days. But. No, and came back. And yeah. uh, it was either the first or second year we got it going. And, and we had seven car fires, okay? That's a preseason. <laughs> and I said, what is going on? And he said, well, these people are used to tailgating right up to kickoff and then throwing the coals under the car and running in. But now they can't do that because the stadium is becoming filled, and uh, these fires, we'd have to put Start up on the, the car on fire yeah, with the yeah, coals and, and, yeah. Anyway, but um, it, th- those are problems you'd love to have. We, oh, put, yeah. we put coal bins out in the parking lots. Mm-hmm. We put port potties, potties out there. We had to do something to make it very special. And uh, by the time we was uh, into it the second, third year, we have people actually coming with no tickets, but paying cash parking just to park and tailgate and, and tailgate. be part of the right. uh, the aura, if you want to call it. Anyway, um, but without so many people's help in that, yeah, Lamar was. He said, "What can I do?" I said, "You want you to come up early on Sunday morning, 
walk with me and let's judge tailgating contests. Who has the best one? And you know, he's just, he was so perfect. He'd come up there and he'd walk walk up to this guy tailgating with uh, Chateaubriand or whatever. And it was beautiful, <laughs> and he'd say. Hi, my name's Lamar Hunt. What's your name and where are you from? Yeah. And what are we barbecuing here today? And, I mean, it was just special, and I know how much he enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, so it became the thing on game days yeah. to be at Arrowhead. Uh, and I know how much you love Lamar, and we've lost both Lamar and Norma. Yeah. Uh, and you loved the Hunt family, of course, and they loved you too. They loved you back. Uh, win, lose, or draw. It didn't matter to Lamar. I mean, it mattered to Lamar to win, but it wasn't. You know, a, a make or break thing for him. And uh, just, you know, the thing that you wanted to do more than anything was to hand him a Lamar Hunt trophy, and it, it didn't happen. And I know that still bugs you a little yeah, bit, I know. Uh, but you, uh, I know you did everything you could to get it done. Yeah. Well, uh, I appreciate that, but uh, it wasn't quite enough. I know that I speak for my late coach, Marty Schottenheimer, uh, for all the coaches got to Cunningham, uh, for uh, Dick Vermeil. And uh, Herm Edwards uh, had four coaches in 20 years. Right. Um, they all felt that that was the one goal that we, we got close to. Sure. But we didn't get it. We won a lot of games. We won a lot of division championships, playoffs, et cetera. Uh, would have liked a better playoff record. But, uh, you know, we did try to do many things we could, uh, like uh, Joe Montana, the trade <laughs> for him and signing Marcus amazing. Allen yeah. and we had two great years with them. We got to the playoffs each year and won playoff games, and then got to the AFC Championship game. But um, yes, you know that's that's something that, that I will always uh, regret. Um, but I do uh, I do take uh, pride for everyone in the organization over those twenty years who helped uh, Lamar Hunt, Norma Hunt, the Hunt family bring back the pride to them of the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I know that Lamar, yeah, winning and losing is, is part of the game, and he knew that going back to 1960. But winning is a lot better than losing. <laughs> and uh, how much pride he took in um, winning and, and becoming a real playoff team every year, a team that he could be proud of, a team that was now being asked to be on national TV right, all the quite time. often mm -hmm. in that. And uh, – I must tell you uh, a quick story about Norma, and uh, we're sad for her passing. She was such a beautiful lady and a wonderful mm -hmm. person, and that streak of 57 consecutive Super Bowls will, will never be broken. But um, one of the things I cherish, uh, we were playing in Denver. I'm not sure what year it was, but uh, we won the game. We were euphoria in the locker room. Guys are jumping up and down, and then all of a sudden says, Woman in the locker room. Woman in the locker room. This is before the, we let the news media in. Who walks in? Norma Hunt. Okay. Beautiful red dress as usual. She's carrying a ball, and she brings it over, and she awards me my 200th win, professional football win, including wow. the Eagles and that, and uh, came down into the locker room. I've never seen her before or since. And I was, I, you know, was quite taken back and said, uh, I'm truly honored. Uh, Lamar, I'm sorry, but I'm honored because Norma's given me this ball. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. Um, but it might have been it, the it, Joe Montana game. It, it may have been. We, we were uh, so thrilled, though, to bring them back. Like I said, uh, you could see the pride building. And Marty, like I said, did a great job. We started off winning mm -hmm. the first year. We went 8-7-1. And, and then uh, 
at uh, nine and and uh, five, and then the, then right on up. And uh, anyway, um, I, I was very very fortunate to work for a guy like Lamar Hunt. Yeah. And uh, uh, you don't get that opportunity very often in your life or your career. I think I knew then, Frank, because a lot of people ask me, why, why didn't you, after you left the Chiefs, why didn't you go go with another team or whatever? Mm-hmm. I knew I could never find another owner like no, that. No, there's no never. way. Uh-huh. And uh, um, the commissioner asked me to, to run the uh, USA football or oversee it as a chairman. But at the end of the day, um, what a great run, what a great uh, time, and I think a great time for Kansas City. Yeah, and your fingerprints are all over the franchise still. I mean, well, it still has gone from 1980, because I was here at 81, okay? And so I went through that whole almost decade yeah. with that football team, and I could tell what was wrong. You got a guy doing business. He's trying to do football at the same time. The yeah. game was growing so much that that yeah. just wasn't going to be the situation. But uh, you came in, and you said you wanted one uh, one one voice in charge, one, one person in charge, and it worked. It has continued to work for the Kansas City Chiefs. There's been a couple bobbles here and there, but yep. they are, you know, they are back on top. And, Thank goodness, Andy Reid. Yeah, and <laughs> Andy Reid, and of course uh, Patrick Mahomes, and Travis Kelsey, and everybody else. They're not, but, they're uh, not too bad. They're no, uh, they're, they're they're pretty good. But I know you are still working. You still do a lot of consulting with the National Football League, and you do a lot of consulting with the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame. I know you will be inducted someday into the oh, Pro yeah. Football team. Uh, Hall of Fame. I thought it was going to be this year. Uh, they've got another what they call an NFL contributor uh, to to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So I, I know one of these years it is going to happen, Carl. Well, it's awfully nice of you to say that. I I, I beg to differ because uh, I honestly, and I'm trying not to be too, too immodest, but uh, I'm not deserving of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That's such a special place uh you know 30,000 plus players coaches administrators uh, have gone through the National Football League and today there's what 273 mm-hmm. in the Hall of Fame and uh, uh guys like Dick Vermeil and obviously in my opinion uh Steve Sable uh deserve that and and uh you know some of the other uh, guys Paul Tagliabue definitely it took him too long to get in there I um I'm flattered and honored to be uh, nominated, but more importantly, uh, Hall of Fames, I think, are for players and coaches and uh, very select owners, uh, administrators, and uh, I'm, I'm just happy to cheer on the sideline. Well, I'll tell you what, when you get elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, we're going to have you back in. Okay, how's that sound? All right, well, I, I will lean on you one more time. I'll try to find you wherever you are in the world at that time. But I will try to find you at that time, and we'll have you in. But the best thing is, you are—you know—you are living your best life. You're traveling to all these other countries, and you could have gone back to Southern California. You could have gone back to Minneapolis, although winter is not exactly a great thing. Yeah. But uh, you have maintained a permanent resident here, and as we say on this show, there is just something about Kansas City, isn't there? There definitely is, and that's uh, what's attracted me here. And yeah, we'll, we've got our home in Lock Lloyd now, and uh, periodically get on a cruise ship uh, to sail a little bit of the world, but uh, always come back. Thanks, Frank. I appreciate this. You bet. You bet. And thanks for coming in and t- taking this time. Because I know when you get off of the world ship, the happiest people in the country are the restaurateurs on the Kansas City Plaza. Okay, yes, they are, okay, because they know where you're coming to dinner. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Thank you. I appreciate you coming in. You bet, buddy. All the best. Don't forget, folks, it's just something about Kansas City.